Amen. Amen. I've had so much fun uh, taking our way and making our way through the book of Daniel in the New Testament. And uh, we'll be back there today in what is, uh, what I think is maybe at least one of the two most familiar stories in the book of Daniel. And so if you have your Bible, you might open it with me today. That being said, I I just want to set it up this way this morning. Anybody besides me ever been to the city of Seattle on a weekend? Right? We live in the Pacific Northwest, so we, we know uh, sort of how things work and how things are. If you go to the city of Seattle on a weekend, you'll notice, it's in there somewhere, All right. you'll notice uh, one big thing. Everywhere you go, uh, Seattle has a college right in town, right? Um, I, I might have sort of mentioned them earlier. But um, Seattle is known football-wise really for one team, the Seahawks, right? And everywhere you go in Seattle, you see those 12th man signs, right? 12th man is big. And of course, that's the reference to the crowd, right? That the, the, the man and the woman in the stands is the difference maker. And it's loud. And Marcy and I were there once on a weekend, not at a Seahawks game, but in downtown. And wherever you were in downtown, including skyscrapers up 90 some floors in the air, Inside, you could hear the crowd from down in the stadium. The 12th man really makes a difference. The question I want to ask you this morning is slightly different than that. The question I want you to really chew on today is, do you know the fourth man? It's imperative that you know the fourth man. With that said, the question I really want to start with is this. Have you walked through a fire before? Have you ever walked through a fire? My friend the fireman says, absolutely. Of course you have walked through a fire before. Not the fires our firefighter friends walk through perhaps, but of course you have walked through a fire before. Of course you have. I think about the one where I was a baby, and I don't remember this for anything because I was a baby, but doctors got me addicted to a drug that made things quite dangerous more of a fire for my parents than for me, but my life was at great risk. Thankfully, I survived. I remember concretely the fire where I was 15, and my parents sat me down one day after church and said, we need to talk about the future of our family. We've decided to get a divorce. I remember the fire where I uh, caused a car accident running a stop sign and totaled my mom's car while she was out of town and I was driving it as sort of a privilege. I remember driving to the airport to pick her up in a different car and needing to explain between the gate and the car what happened. I remember the fire where my friends, all of my age as a young, you know, 18, 19 year old, thought I was nuts for asking an amazing woman to marry me. I remember the fire, the one where Mama, my grandmother, died. I remember the one where my dad battled cancer for a few years and later died. The grief in both of those was deep. I remember all the ones where, where in ministry over the years I've made a decision, sometimes tough, rough decisions. 
and everybody didn't understand. In fact, some despised me for it. I remember the, <laughs> the one where I lost a good friend because I wouldn't ignore an anger problem that had an impact creating fires in his world. I remember the one where I was laid off from a job that paid our bills. I remember the one where I moved my family halfway across America to a town where I didn't know anybody longer than about two months to pastor a church. Still here, thankfully. I remember the one years ago where I closed the church I planted and I grieved in a sense. It's not just in a sense, it was deep. Almost like I lost a child, but I haven't lost a child and I don't want to pretend I understand that. I remember the one where I lost my legs most literally, you walked me through that fire. One minute I walked like a 42-year-old, and within six months I walked like an 82-year-old. I remember the ones in my younger years where I had concussion, concussions on multiple occasions, one of which put me in the hospital. I, I remember when an, an asthma attacks sent me to the emergency room. These aren't just moment-by-moment play-by-plays, these are significant things in my life that I look back on the fires and I realize how at risk at times my life might have really been. And these are just my fires, not counting Marcy's fires or Nicole's fires or Michaela's fires, not counting all the times as a pastor that I have walked you and many, many others through fires in their life, the loss of a child the loss of a job, the loss of faith. Grief the heart can't contain. Neither am I really making today about the dumpster fire we're calling reality right now. What I do know for sure, and I have 100% certainty of, is that through all of these fires in my life, I have not walked alone that I know that Jesus was with me and is with me. And of course, there's this fire talked about in the New Testament. Have you walked through a fire before? In my litany of fire, certainly something popped into your mind, a fire you've walked through in your life. There's this in Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to start in the middle of the chapter. I'm going to go back and read the story. But the middle of the chapter you're probably familiar with, there's this king called Nebuchadnezzar. And there are these three guys, they're friends of Daniel who wrote the book. And these three friends are, are uh, helpers, in a sense, servants of the king. But they are there as prisoners of war. They have been told to bow down and worship a statue the king has had built in his honor. It is... Uh, the largest gold statue you would have ever seen in your life. It would be worth countless fortunes in today's dollars, and it was likely an image of the king himself. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are told to bow down by the king 
Daniel 3, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, I'm sure he would add guitar, drums. Maybe. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then, now get this question, it's significant. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You couldn't make a more prideful statement. In fact, that pride reflected there and in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. We will begin to deal with next week in chapter 4 and later in chapter 5. That pride is significant and really is central to understanding the book of Daniel. In a lot of senses, he is saying, there is no God but me who can save you from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You likely know the beginning of the story, right? King Nebuchadnezzar had just had a dream about a great statue, and his essence, essential response to it is to build a great statue, presumably of himself made out of gold, and to demand that all the people of his kingdom worship said statue. And almost everybody did, but all of the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the advisors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the other Republicans and Democrats and what, you know, all the assembled politicians bowed down. And they all heard this is what they were supposed to do. But verse 8 tells us some astrologers came forward, they denounced the Jews, and they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever, your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears this music should fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there's some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Now these are astrologers, so they're of the same serving class the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve as a part of, and I want you to see that they have some hatred here for these young men. They think this is their chance to do away with them. They're likely jealous that these young men have been promoted to the place of service they're in. But they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. And furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before him. And that's when King Nebuchadnezzar said, Hey guys, I got to know, is it true? I'm going to give you basically one more chance. When the music plays again, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into the blazing furnace. There are fires in our lives that sometimes are created by circumstances we do not control. And there are fires in our lives that sometimes are 
are, are dictated by circumstances to a degree we do control, specifically our response to certain circumstances. This was one of those for Rakshak and Benny, right? That they chose, in a sense, the fire. And that's an odd thought because most of us spend our energy and our time firefighting, right? Most of us spend our energy and our time avoiding the fire, circumventing the fire, doing everything we can to avoid ending up in a fire. And they had a clear proposition violate their faith and worship other gods and essentially worship Nebuchadnezzar as God or face the fire. The one thing I want to convince you of today and the thing that this is entirely about that I want you to really sink into your mind is that one of God's most common tools for building my faith, for building your faith is fire that one of the most common circumstances that will build our faith along the way is fire. And fires tempt us because they spread rapidly, because things seem out of control, because they're hotter than we usually choose to be in in life. Fires tempt us to believe that escape is the only route God would want for us. In fact, if you think about it, thinking back through the stories I talked about to begin, I almost guarantee that the fires you've walked through in your life have tempted you to think that God has abandoned you because of the fire. And that you will look into your own soul and probably know that there have been at least times where you have been tempted by the enemy to sink your teeth into the lie that because you're in a fire, God has abandoned you. That doesn't mean you gave into that temptation, but the enemy will always whisper in a fire into your life, where is God now? I think it was Beth Moore who I first heard this from. I'm not sure if she originated it, but she said, based on this story, that, and we've talked about this over and over through the years, that sometimes we are, as Christian people, saved from the fire. That is to say that our faith is built because God circumvented us from the fire. He moved us around it. It was ahead of us, and he was able to help us avoid it. This is when you think there may be cancer, and it isn't happening. It's when you think that things are more doomed than they've ever been and God provides miraculous healing or any number of things that save you from ending up in this place. Beth Moore said, sometimes we are saved through the fire. That is, our faith is refined. It is strengthened. It is grown. And sometimes we are saved, and we've talked about this, by the fire, that our faith will one day be perfected that when God saves us by the fire, he is essentially taking us home, that we receive, we receive the inheritance of our faith. The significance 
of the statement that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made in the furnace echoes through my soul. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's question, what God will be able to save you from my hand? They're like, that's easy. The God we serve is able to, but even if he does not, we will not bow down and serve your gods. We will not bow down and worship the image of gold you have set up. If he did not, he would have taken them home. And the consequences essentially would have been the same. They would be freed from the fire. They would not have the smell of smoke on them. We will read about in a minute. And they would be walking with God himself. In a sense, what they got was heaven on earth in the fire. God often does his greatest, his most significant, and his deepest works individually and corporately in our faith during times of uncertainty. Your favorite Bible stories, your favorite Psalms, and some of the most comforting written passages of the Bible were birthed during times of trouble and times of fire. God was not absent during these transitional times. He was probably more active than any other time. And part of what I want to convince you of today is that you will know the presence of God in your life stronger in a fire than in any other season of your life. The story of Daniel 3 is about some men who were taken from their homes, taken from everything that was secure around them, and placed into a completely complex, different world. They were already in a fire before Daniel 3 ever happened. And their faith had already been tested, Daniel 1, over and over and over. Daniel 2, over and over and over. The fire they end up in, in the blazing furnace, is not just the fire I want you to focus on. They were already in it. Their lives had already been turned upside down. They were prisoners of war in a foreign country. But from God's perspective, these difficult times are often opportunities to do something in us. And frankly, it's a little sad that it takes fires to get our attention. But humanly speaking, oh, do they get our attention. So I want to give you just applicationally today four ways that Jesus will leverage a fire in my life and yours. Four ways that Jesus will leverage a fire. You ready? Yep. All right, thank you. Just checking. Got to make sure you're there. Four ways Jesus will leverage a fire in my life and yours. Number one, Jesus will leverage a fire to clarify my worship. To clarify my worship. To teach you to worship God alone. To teach you when to bend the knee and how to bend the knee and who you should bend the knee for. God will use the fire to force you into crucial decisions, in a sense, crucible decisions, where your faith is tested and where your resolve to worship God is tested. I think of this in a couple of ways. I think of this for my friends who are believers, who have walked with Jesus for a long time, who would know the Ten Commandments, 
who would know that the first two commandments tell us, you shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. For these three young men, this, these verses of scripture, this would have been their Bible, would have echoed firmly in their minds, no way we can do this. There are things you have made us do, we don't have a choice in, but this one is not up for discussion. I also think of my friends who don't believe in God, and my friends who don't have faith in God, or my friends who would say, you know what, there might be a God, but I don't think you can know him, right? My atheist friends and my agnostic friends. And my atheist friends and my agnostic friends would tend to think, you know what, because I don't know God or don't think you can know God or because I don't think there is a God, the whole idea of worship is, is something I just don't believe in and frankly, it's something I just don't do. And yet I think the teaching of the Bible that we often misunderstand is that everybody worships. That not just religious people worship, right? Not just the five major religions of the world, whether you're Buddhist or Hindu or Jewish or Christian or Muslim, but every single human being worships because we were created with souls and those souls bow down to something. In our day, sometimes it is creation itself. Sometimes it is lust or pride or fame or greed or all of the popular sort of sins. In fact, a very good understanding of the Ten Commandments would understand that behind all of the commandments is a breaking of the first two, a bowing down and a worship of something that isn't God that doesn't deserve your worship. But probably, and I want to be clear here, whether I'm talking about my atheist and agnostic friends or to my atheist and agnostic friends who are watching online, or I'm talking to my Christian friends, we are all guilty of bowing down at the greatest idol of our lives, and that's ourselves. In fact, the piece of me that want to, would want to escape the situation they're in to say, I will just do, I will just go along, I will just do what I'm being asked to do so that I can escape the fire and escape the consequences would be bowing the knee to, my, the knee to myself, if you think about it. The bottom line is that Jesus will leverage a fire to clarify my worship. As if I haven't done this enough lately, I would remind us that there's a difference between issues that happen in this world where we are told you are asked to do something or told to do something or required to do something, I flat out know. I have heard so many friends in social media make this sort of story into the way to, to dictate what they should do regarding the pandemic and how to handle issues of the pandemic. And I just want to be clear again that we, we have to let our faith drive how we think and what we think and what we value and how we value, our faith should drive those things, but we don't want to mix those things in a way that elevates politics to the level of faith. Is that fair? Whether you think right or you think left or whichever way it is, you want your faith to influence everything else, not vice versa. 
There's one other deeper thing that proves this to me in this story. You remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their real names, Hebrew names, are Hananiah and Mishael. And anybody remember the third one? Thank you. We've been working on that over the last weeks, right? Right? Somebody I knew was going to say, I better, I better memorize these names because Brian's going to, like, this is where they get mentioned last, so I, I better know them. Right? It's, it's Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and all three of their names have to do with the worship of their God, the worship of Yahweh. They are given the names in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar. Now listen to what these names mean from the Aramaic, the the Babylonian sense. Our best sense of translating would be that Daniel's name would mean Bel will protect. Shadrach's name would mean inspired of Aku. Meshach's name would be belonging to Aku, and Abednego's name would mean servant of Nego, which is the same God that Nebuchadnezzar is, is named after. All of that to say that they were formed and fashioned from a Babylonian perspective to bow down to the Babylonian gods. And listen again to Nebuchadnezzar's question. You don't serve my gods. You won't bow down to this image of gold. I have set up what God will be able to save you from my hand. And they're defiantly. This is why I think Daniel calls them by their Aramaic names, their Babylonian names here. They're defiantly saying, we serve one God. You can change my name. You can change what you call me. But the bottom line is I worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone. As Christian people, we would say that we worship Jesus, right? That we worship Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian God, whole, whole separate subject we can dig into another day. But let's not pretend as Christians that we're not tempted to worship the same things the world does, to worship ourselves, to worship our cash, to worship sex or stuff or bigger or better, the boats or the RVs. Our culture attaches labels to us all the time, labels that say you're worthless or a failure or you're unforgivable. They put names on us too, that you're rejected, that you're outcast, that you're no good, that you're worth nothing. At the end of the day, what matters is what Jesus would say about us. A fire will clarify your worship, and Jesus will leverage it for just this case. Number two, Jesus will leverage a fire to set me free. To set me free. Something interesting happens in the story. And sometimes in our lives, the things that don't really matter in our lives are burned up. Have you ever noticed that? Those fires I was mentioning before in my life have been clarifying moments for me, not only in what I worship, but what, what I don't want to worship. Clarifying in being able to say, here's what really matters and here's what doesn't matter at all. This is how the story picks up. I had read a while ago through verse 18, I believe. I'm going to pick up verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strong, excuse me, some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the blazing furnace. 
And so these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the king's blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. You get the image here, right? That they get close enough, and the fire is so hot that the, the soldiers bringing them up are, are burned in the fire, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are close enough that instead of falling away from the fire, they fall in to the furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, this must have been quite the question. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. Now just pause there, because we love the next sentence, the next phrase, and we'll come to it. But I see four, and they're unbound, and they're unharmed, and they're walking Sometimes, Jesus will leverage a fire to set us free from the things that are really preventing us from walking with him. Sometimes, Jesus will use a fire to clarify what matters in worship, but in turn, he will leverage the very same fire, if we will let him, to burn away what doesn't matter truly in our lives. I've walked many friends over the years through something to do with addiction. And I think friend after friend after friend would say that they had to, now here's the language, you would know it probably, they had to hit bottom. See, it often takes that for us to be set free. And it goes back to the pride that Nebuchadnezzar had, and we're going to end up seeing that Next week, when we get into Daniel chapter 4. What is it that has you bound, that has you tied up in this world? I would suggest that for most of us, what has us most tied up and is so distracting to our souls these days is, is the tension in our culture over you're with me or you're against me on the pandemic on this dumpster fire we're in. And we're all in it, mind you. We have turned on each other. One of my greatest prayers for Harvest through this time is that we would stand out as a beacon of light that would say, whether we agree or disagree on politics, whether we agree or disagree on the pandemic, whether we agree or disagree on everything else, what will bind us together is a common faith in the fourth man in the furnace. And that our love for him will set us free from all those tensions the world struggles with. Number three, Jesus will certainly leverage a fire to clarify my worship. He will leverage a fire to set me free. Number three, Jesus will leverage a fire to grow my walk with him. He will leverage a fire to grow my walk with him. Coming back to this verse that we just read. 
Nebuchadnezzar said, look, verse 25, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. This had to be quite confusing to Nebuchadnezzar. You might remember that in Daniel 2, all of, all of Nebuchadnezzar's advisors said, there, there is no God who walks among the humans. And so, because there was that whole story about, he said, tell me the dream I had. And they're like, nobody can do that. Only the gods can do that. And there are no gods that walk among the humans. And here, Nebuchadnezzar says, but hey, I, we threw in three men. They're walking around unbound, unharmed. And there's actually a fourth man there. And he looks like a son of the gods. And interestingly, the book of Daniel doesn't really come back and explain that anymore. And I do think Jesus shows up again in the book of Daniel in various places, and we'll see that as we make our way through. So as Christian people, we can read this with the Son of God in mind. And I believe with all my heart that it's Jesus who's walking around with them, that it's pre-incarnate Jesus to be specific. This would be called, uh, for some, a theophany if that's God with them, for others, a Christophany if it's Christ with them, you know, Christ revealed before he's born. Nebuchadnezzar, right? Then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, which was a little dangerous, because remember, those who, the soldiers who brought him up had, had already burned up because it was so hot. So he gets as close as he can get, and he shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, Um, okay, servants of the God, your God, servants of the most high God, I'm, I'm, I'm treading on thin ice here, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, and the prefects, and the governors, and the royal advisors, and all the, you know, all the politicians that were gathered around, crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I've walked around several fires in my life. I've roasted countless marshmallows over said fires in my life. I've had hamburgers and hot dogs and steaks galore, ribs that taste over fires in my life. You're hungry now, aren't you? I've been around a lot of campfires. I haven't been in them. I smell like them when I go. Go camping for a weekend and you know what I'm talking about. Everything you bring back smells like fire, doesn't it? Nothing that came out on them smelled like fire. This is why I say it's almost as though they experienced heaven on earth because God was truly among them. Which brings me as a Christian, as a person who believes in Jesus to some verses that I think just wow me. 
I mean, how about this one? I didn't put this one in your notes, but Isaiah 7, verse 14, that the Lord himself will give you a sign, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, right? I mean, tomorrow, it's Christmas season. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, honestly, is about Jesus as well, isn't it? Book of Matthew picks that up and makes it crystal clear that Jesus is the son called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, translated, of course, means God with us. Jesus lived that out, of course, and later, Matthew 28, right, after doing all that he did and dying on the cross and then commissioning the disciples and telling them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, right, to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, Jesus said, and this is significant, I think missionaries have hung their heart on this verse for centuries, I am with you always. To the very end of the age, that God is with me. Isaiah 43, verse 2, one of my favorite verses about fires says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, Isaiah says. Now, I've heard that preached and taken to refer to all moments in all time. And again, remember, sometimes we are saved from the fire, sometimes we are saved through the fire, and sometimes we are taken home by the fire. Right? I have friends who still get cancer, and sometimes they are set free, and sometimes they are set free by being taken home. I find great comfort in grief. And knowing when a loved one has no more suffering, no more mourning or crying or pain, when death is no more. And then there's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. These were Christians who were, whose faith was being tested, who were being told in the name of Rome to denounce their faith. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. God is telling us over and over and over again that we begin to understand him differently in a fire. That when we walk through a fire, that we will sense God's presence. And my prayer is often for people when there are prayers about hospitals, when there are prayers about difficulties, when there are prayers about grief, when there are prayers about the fires of life. My sense of prayer is often that a person will have a greater awareness of the presence of God in their lives. It's not that I'm praying God will show up because God is always present if we understand the Bible rightly. It's not that God will show up, it's that we will be aware and tuned in to the God who already has shown up. Number four, Jesus will leverage a fire to 
among other things, expand my influence. It's happened a bunch of times already in Daniel 1 and Daniel 2. But here you have Nebuchadnezzar going, hey, servants of the Most High God, come out here. So he's now acknowledging something that he was, he's still coming around. We would say that Nebuchadnezzar is, is trying to figure out the God of the Hebrews. And he is slowly, painfully coming to the place of understanding that their God is real and to be worshiped alone. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors all crowded around them. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. And they're... Notice the extremeness of Nebuchadnezzar all through the whole book. Right? I mean, he just... He just he's over there, and then he's 100% opposite over here. Be cut into pieces, their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Now, mind you, that in the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar gets another sort of right, dream sequence that is going to warn him that he is greatly prideful and that he needs to be mindful of his own pride, and he ignores the dream. So he's got all this talk, but it hadn't hit reality and it hadn't hit home for him yet. He ends his little speech saying, no other God can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I was thinking this week, right, that old TV, you used to see a lot of sidekicks, right? Tim the Toolman Taylor had Al Borland. Anybody remember that home improvement? Right? Batman had Robin. Fred Flintstone had Barney Rubble. Sherlock Holmes had Dr. Watson. Shrek had Donkey. Peter Pan had Tinkerbell. We, for most of our reading of scripture, would think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as the sidekicks to Daniel, that the story is really Daniel's story. But in this sense, they are no longer sidekicks. And I would have you note that Daniel is absent from the story. I have often wondered why, but I think maybe it's Daniel not wanting to steal their story. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't have a definitive answer. But what I do know is over and over and over, the fire that they faced in chapter one became an opportunity for God to promote them and himself. In chapter two, it became an opportunity for God to promote his servants and himself. In chapter three, it's an opportunity for God to promote his servants and himself. You and I tend to seek promotion for our own fame and our own glory, but God does it for his. Have you walked through a fire in your life? Of course you have. But the bigger question is, do you trust the fourth man, the firewalker? And I hope that's the commitment you'll make right here, right now, today. Will you? That God, no matter what you do in my future, 
And no matter what you've allowed in my past, that I want to have a deeper trust in you, Jesus, the fourth man, the fire walker. Are you with me? All right. We're going to end with our two prayers, as we always do. If you're new to us, we pray at the end of our services in two ways. One, we have a prayer of salvation. If you need Jesus today, we would invite you to receive him. You might remember Jesus walked through his own fire, if you will. He was crucified, right? And he wasn't crucified because he did anything wrong. He was crucified because of everything he did right. But we look back and realize he was crucified because we're so prideful. We're so broken. We're so in need. And we're so sinful. So will you trust him? That's our first prayer. We'll pray the prayer of application, our second one, after. But for now, I want to pray that first prayer, and I want to invite you to pray it with me, whether you're online or in person. If you need Jesus today, would you pray just like this? Dear Jesus, I don't want to go through the fires alone. And I've created a whole lot of fires in my own life with a whole lot of... <laughs> sins, often worshiping everything that isn't you, God. And so, so God, I beg that you forgive me. And Jesus, I believe that you lived, you died for my sins, they buried you in a borrowed grave but you rose again and are alive today. And since you're alive today, take over my life. Be my God. And walk with me. And help me to walk with you so that I'll never be alone again. In Jesus' name, amen. That first prayer is very simple. And when we pray it, I believe that God runs to us. And man, do we celebrate that. So I would encourage you, if that's your prayer today, if that's your prayer online today, tell somebody. You can tell a friend. You can tell someone who invited you. You can seek me out after service. You can fill out that communication card we mentioned earlier or our digital communication card. And you can mark that I have followed Jesus for the first time. Or you can just email me and tell me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. Man, I would love to hear that you've become a Christian because I'd love to celebrate that with you. We always end with two prayers. The second, a prayer of application. I'm trusting that for all of you who followed Jesus at some other moment in your life, that today you would say, you know what, I need... <laughs> I need to lean in that my action step today is to trust the fourth man. If that's you, would you pray with me like this? Dear Jesus, I'm leaning in to my trust in you. Thank you for saving me. Sometimes from the fire, sometimes through the fire, 
and one day by the fire. Jesus, I'm giving you permission, not that you need it, to leverage whatever you want to make me more like you, Jesus. Use a fire to clarify my worship. Use a fire to set me free. Use a fire to grow my walk with you. Use a fire to explain my influence for you. Use whatever it takes in my life, Jesus, to help me become like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's a big deal, isn't it? Can you imagine the stories that these guys would tell for the rest of their lives about what went on in that fire? I mean, that's one of the things I look forward to, honestly, in heaven. Like, like what day in eternity, in the distant future, do you ever get to sit down with these three men and say, what was it like in that fire? Oh, will he use us. Oh, will he use a fire to grow our walk with him. We're going to end with worship again today. Of course, after we finish singing, I would remind you we collect offerings. If you're our guest, offerings is not what we're after. We just want to get to know you. But for those of us that consider Harvest our home, we collect our offerings and all those communication cards from everyone back in the back. Let's stand as we worship again today. Mm -hmm.